T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Time now for the Brian Barrett Show on EEI. All right, welcome back in. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So are you concerned with the play of the quarterback right now? And why do the Patriots continually have horrible starts defensively? And what's up with the special teams penalties and the special teams issues that have been going on all season long? 617-779-7937 is the number. These are things that we've seen from other teams through the years. And the Patriots continue to have these issues this year in terms of the special teams. They've had three punts blocked. Nobody else has two in the NFL. The Patriots have three. And this crap yesterday with Lawrence Guy, I mean, that's embarrassing, especially this late in the season from a veteran player. It just doesn't doesn't make any sense that this is still happening to the Patriots. This stuff should be cleaned up by now, and the Patriots continue to have these issues. But the other thing, too, that I want to get to in terms of the defense, I mentioned the slow starts earlier. That's been a major issue for this team, especially in the losses. And not getting into the details with how this continues to happen to the Patriots defense, but from the other angle on that is, well, you put your offense at a really bad place. And this defense has to understand, you have a rookie quarterback, you don't have a lot of weapons, you're not built to come from behind. So the Patriots as a team, they don't have the margin of error that a lot of these other teams across the league have, and you can't do that to your offense. You cannot put your offense into that situation. The Patriots are a team that clearly needs to play on schedule. They're a good team when they play on schedule. When they get out of schedule, it's a complete debacle. Other teams across the league can do it. They can play when they're not on schedule, and the Patriots used to be able to do that when Brady was in his prime here. But the problem right now is the Patriots don't have enough weaponry for Mac Jones, and Mac Jones isn't a proven commodity at that level yet where he can continually dig yourself out of holes. He can't do it. So the Patriots' defense cannot continue to give up touchdowns on the first drive of the game. Six out of 17 times. And if you look at it, the Bills did it last time they played the Patriots. First drive of the game, they went down the field and they scored. They've got to be better to begin games. And I don't understand why that continues to be an issue for the Patriots. How have they not cleaned that up? Why are they not ready to go to begin all these games? That's what's aggravating to me. Why are they 27th in first quarter points a lot? That should not be the case. If you're first in the second quarter and you're first in the fourth quarter and you're eighth in the third quarter, there is no reasonable reasonable excuse. There's no reasonable explanation, if you will, for why the Patriots are that bad in the first quarter of games from a defensive perspective. Makes zero sense. Quite frankly, it's aggravating that they can't figure it out to begin games. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention about this defense is they have had massive issues in the run game. Now, at the beginning of the season, and really when they were winning and they had the seven-game winning streak, you didn't put a lot of stock into it. But now it's really starting to rear its head again for this Patriots team. So if you look at it, 
last four games. The Patriots are 24th at rush EPA. Expected points added. That's horrible. Okay? And if you look at it, Indy, 39 for 226. Buffalo, who doesn't like to run, 28 for 114. Jacksonville, who sucks, and really they didn't have the luxury to run because they were behind in that game, 17 for 80. Dolphins, 43 for 195. The Dolphins came into yesterday 30th in the NFL in rushing yards per game. They cannot run the ball, and they put up a crooked number on you, 195. So if you look at the numbers in totality, that's 127 carries over the last four weeks for 615 yards. And remember, this has the Jaguars in it. So this is two good teams in Indian Buffalo and another good team in the Dolphins. I categorize the Dolphins in India as good teams. Obviously, they're not in the players, but they're good. They're fine. They're not great teams. They're not bad teams. They're somewhere in between. Buffalo is a really good team, as we've seen, and the Jaguars suck. So You have three good teams and one team that sucks in the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they really couldn't run the ball because you made them one-dimensional. So even with the Jaguars in this, you've given up in the last four games on average 153.7 yards per game. On the season, the Steelers are the worst rush defense in the NFL. They give up 146 a game. So they give up 146 yards per game. That's the worst in the NFL this season. The last four weeks, the Patriots are giving up 153.7. So they are worse. In the last month of the season, their final four games, they are worse than the worst rush defense in the NFL this season. That's how bad the rush defense has been. Now, in terms of yards per carry, they're giving up 4.8 yards per pop. Only the Steelers are worse on the season. The Chiefs are also at 4.8, but in terms of the worst in the league, that's the Steelers at 4.8. So the Patriots are basically playing in the last four games. They're playing at a level that is equivalent to the worst rush defense of the NFL this season. And here is maybe the more aggravating part about it is we've seen all season long that the Patriots, these are guys that should not be putting up yardage against the Pats. You look at a guy like Duke Johnson yesterday. He was signed to the Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad prior to the season on September 6th. Duke Johnson was released from the Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad. He wasn't good enough for the Jaguars practice squad. The worst team in the NFL. He was not good enough for their practice squad. Okay, then he signs with the Miami Dolphins practice squad. And because of some injuries, they elevate him to the active roster. And yesterday, he runs all over you for 117 yards. So he runs for 117 yards. Season high, 25 carries as well. So that's, what, 4.7 yards per carry. Duke Johnson on the season has rushed for 330 yards. So exactly 35.4% of Duke Johnson's rushing yardage this season came against the Patriots on Sunday afternoon. So that's the thing. It's not as if you went up against Jonathan Taylor again yesterday. It's not as if you went up against a healthy Nick Chubb, or a healthy Derrick Henry, you went up against a guy that was waived from the Jacksonville Jack- Jaguars practice squad and was just recently elevated about six weeks ago to the active roster for the Miami Dolphins. That's the guy that you gave up that yardage to. Oh, yeah, how about another game that the Patriots gave up a ton of rushing yards in? The Tennessee Titans earlier this season, and this is before I alluded to the last month that's been an issue for the Patriots in terms of the rush defense. Dontrell Hilliard. 12 carries, and I know he had the one big 68-yard run, but 12 carries for a buck 31. That's uh, 10.9 yards per carry. And I know he had a big long one, but also in that game, Deontay Foreman, 19 carries for a buck 09. Dontrell Hilliard 
was cut by the Houston Texans. He was with the Houston Texans in training camp. He goes to the Tennessee Titans. The only reason he's playing is because of the injury to Derrick Henry, and he ends up going for 12 rushes and 131 yards against the Patriots. So these are no-name guys. Now, Duke Johnson, we know who he was because he was supposed to be something coming out of Miami, but he's not had a good career. It's Duke Johnson. It's Dontrell Hilliard. It's Deontay Foreman. These guys putting up big numbers against the Patriots' rush defense, which makes you awfully concerned heading into the postseason. And I know you can say, well, hey, the Bills are not a team that likes to run the football, right? They're based there on their passing game. It's predicated on them throwing the football, not on them running the football. Well, at some point, if you notice the Patriots are this bad from a rushing perspective, you may dig into that a little bit because the Patriots haven't proven they can stop it. They can't stop Miami, who's 30th in rushing yards per game. They can't stop Derrick Henry's backup and his backup's backup. So why wouldn't you, if you were the Bills, dig into that a little bit, especially with Josh Allen's ability to run the football? So that's another concern is the slow starts for the Patriots defense and, of course, the rush defense in general. And I poo-pooed it. I'm guilty of poo-pooing it a little bit earlier this season. But now you start to think about it, it's become a major issue. And the other thing is this. And I said earlier this season I thought Belichick was the coach of the year and I thought he was the executive of the year. I still believe he's the executive of the year based on all the moves that they made in terms of getting a quarterback in Mac Jones, going out there and getting Matthew Judon, although Judon has not been great as of late, bringing in a guy like Henry Henry who's been really good for Mac Jones. I still believe that Bill's the executive of the year, but there's no way he's the coach of the year. Because what we've seen from Bill is this is a new trend with the Patriots. For so many years, the Patriots, when they entered December, they were a great team. And they got better as the year went on. We always found that out about the Patriots is after Thanksgiving, that's really when they hit their stride. And we're seeing the opposite. And I don't know if it's something internally with these guys, if it's a level of softness, if you will. Because if you think back to remember what Mac Jones said after the loss to Indianapolis. And at the time, you're kind of scratching your head thinking, like, this doesn't really make sense. So the Patriots are on the seven-game winning streak. They get a bye, and they come out of the bye. They are not ready to play against the Colts, and this has continued to be the theme. They weren't ready to begin the game against the Colts. They weren't ready to begin the game against the Bills, and they weren't ready, of course, to begin the game yesterday against the Dolphins. But Mac Jones, after that game against the Colts, he said, I don't know if we felt sorry for ourselves coming off the bye. And you're thinking about it at the time, like, what the hell is he talking about? Feeling sorry for yourself coming off the bye, what does that even mean? And you look at it, remember, that was a Saturday night game. So was that something that was going on? Because remember, also, Mac kind of stepped in it after that game where he said, we did not have a good week of practice. And he also said after the game, of course, we did not feel sorry for ourselves. So put the two things together. It's very easy to kind of diagnose what Mac was alluding to. Guys were pissed off that their bye week was cut short. Unbelievable. That's what the, that's what happened. You had guys, obviously, Mac Jones is not just making stuff up when he goes to the podium. Now, obviously, he wishes he didn't say that, right? He even said after the game, like, oh, maybe that's not what I should have said. Or he, when he went on with Lou and Christian, he kind of backed that up a little bit. Maybe that wasn't the right terminology that I was looking for. But what Mac was saying at the podium was the truth. Guys were pissed off that their bye week was cut short. And because they were pissed off that their bye week was cut short, they did not have a good week of practice. And ever since that has occurred, the Patriots have not been the same football team. And it's something that we have not talked about a lot as of late, but that is clearly something that has affected this football team, which again speaks to this team being a little bit soft. And they need to prove it against Buffalo. They need to respond because what happens to this team when they get punched in the mouth, they have a very difficult time 
punching back. The Patriots are really good when they're front runners. When they get ahead of you and they can control the game and they're playing on their terms, they're really good. But when it's, when it's the other way around, it feels like the wheels are kind of falling off. And that's why I don't like Judon getting pissed on social media about the officials, right? It's almost as like that's an excuse. The Patriots have got to figure out a way to be tougher in adverse situations, and we haven't seen it this year. It's almost as if they feel sorry for themselves when they fall behind, and they feel sorry for themselves that they didn't get the total bye week that all the other teams and the majority of the rest of the teams in the NFL got. They feel sorry for themselves about that. I can't believe that. And I didn't make much of it when Mac made that comment when he just said maybe we felt sorry for ourselves coming off the bye. But now that you think about it, clearly that was an issue for these guys. They were pissed off that they didn't get the regular bye. Which, I mean, that's a character flaw. You shouldn't be pissed off about that. You're on a seven-game winning streak. You have an opportunity to get the number one seed in the AFC. At the time, you're 9-3. and three. You have an opportunity to get the number one seed in the AFC. And you're worried about the fact that your vacation got cut short by a day. And you had a sh- crappy week of practice. Because you guys were upset about the fact that you didn't have the bye week that most of the rest of the league had? I mean, that's terrible. That's a horrible trade for the team. And that goes on the leadership of the team. Not on Belichick, but on the captains, etc. That this team had a bad week of practice before a game against the Colts when the one seed was still on the table for them because they were pissed off about their bye week? I mean, that's soft. That is soft. 617-779. 7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. All right, I do want to get into this next. What is going on with Miami? We'll address it next here on WEI. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're right back to what you want to hear. More of Brian Barrett on EEI. All right, so that was an awesome day in the NFL yesterday. Sucked for the Patriots, but in general, I thought that was a really fun day. I did like, how about Brady? Did you see what Brady did yesterday? So Brady was supposed to come out of the game, but Gronk was a reception away from hitting another bonus and incentive, if you will. So Brady went back in the game, told Bruce Arians, screw you. So he went back out there to get Gronk his money. So that, obviously, the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers, by the way, just a quick aside, they may have benefited more than anybody else from what transpired yesterday. Because now that if you think about it, from where the Buccaneers are at, so 
The Bucks get the Eagles in the first round of the postseason, and they host the Eagles. Here's the thing. From an Eagles perspective, this is the worst matchup you could pop- possibly ask for. It's worse than the Packers. So nobody can run on the Buccaneers. They've been the best rush defense like for the past three years. That's how good they've been. Really, the past two years, and I just say three, because they would have been better if James James Winston wasn't their quarterback a couple of years ago. But nonetheless, their rush defense, as we all know, it's great. Remember, the Patriots barely tried to run on them. The Patriots, who all they want to do is run the football. They barely tried to run on them. Uh, by the way, in this Georgia-Alabama game, unbelievable catch from Georgia here in the end zone. And it was clearly pass interference as well. He still caught it. Adani Mitchell. Oh, never mind. It's just an offside. It's pass interference as well. But George is going to take a lead here. They're going to go up 19 to 18. So you would expect here that they're going to go for two. But nonetheless, uh, it could turn into a classic now. The game had sucked up until this point, but now it's starting to come together here for Georgia and Alabama. But anyway, getting back to the Bucs. So they get the Eagles who cannot throw with Jalen Hurts and company. Not to say Jalen Hurts is never going to be a good passer in the league. He's a fine passer, but they don't have a lot of weapons. They want to run. They run from a percentage perspective more than anybody else in the NFL. And the reality is this. You can't run on the Bucs. So the Bucs get that in terms of their first-round matchup. And here's the other good thing for the Bucs. So the Cowboys host the 49ers. The 49ers is a team that you don't want to play right now. And by the way, watching the 49ers yesterday, if you saw any of that game on Red Zone, because I had the Red Zone going, I had the Patriots on the other TV. So I had both going, right? Every time I watch the 49ers play, I get aggravated because Debo Samuel's on the field. That guy had a touchdown pass. He had a rushing touchdown as well. He had a critical pass, a critical reception on their big drive to tie things up late. And every time I see that guy play, I think, holy crap, he should be on the Patriots. And he would be such a good weapon for the Pats because he could do everything. He could run the football. He's an elite receiver. He can throw the – like, he would be perfect in the Patriots. But nonetheless – That San Francisco team, their front four was really good in the second half against Matthew Stafford and company. That's a dangerous football team. So here's the thing, though, from a Buccaneers perspective. So three plays six. So the Cowboys play the the 49ers. And so you look at the other side, when you look at four and five, that's a situation where it's Rams and Cardinals. So the hypothetical is this. So let's say that the Bucks win, which we expect. Let's say the 49ers pull off the upset. They go to Lambeau because they'll be the lowest remaining seed. And the Buccaneers will get the Rams or the Cardinals. And I don't see either one of those teams going to Tampa and beat the Bucks. And I know that earlier this season, the Rams beat the Buccaneers. But the Rams have not been the same team the second half of the season. And Matthew Stafford in the fourth quarter, this guy... I know he's had a lot of comebacks throughout his career, but he continues to have these careless interceptions. I mean, the interception, he he was really good in the second half, but did you see the interception he threw in the second half of that game or in the fourth, to end the game, essentially? What was that? This guy's supposed to have a cannon for an army, completely th- underthrows Odell Beckham Jr. So I would not want to play San Francisco, and the Bucs can't play San Francisco. The Eagles are the best possible matchup for the Bucs in the first round. They get them. So if I look at it from a Bucs perspective, they're in a perfect position right now entering the postseason. I mean, that's a perfect position you want to be in if you're Tom Brady and company. But the other big takeaway from yesterday was the game where you could have had a tie. And if you tied, both the Raiders and the Chargers go into the postseason. So this is all possible because the Colts somehow laid an egg against the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
This one didn't even, like, register to me. And I know, like, they had that stat. What was it? The Colts haven't won a home game or haven't won a road game in Jacksonville since 2014. So, I like, you look into that because we think about it from a Patriots perspective. The Patriots always suck in Miami. What's Bill, like, 2-9, and nine, like, past December and whatever it is? Like, Bill sucks in Miami. 2-9 and nine, uh, in the months of December and January in Miami. So, Bill and the Patriots always suck there. So, this is kind of like the Colts equivalent to that. But I just looked at that Jacksonville team because I just saw them play last week. We all watched that Jacksonville team play against the Patriots. There's no way this can happen. There's no way the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to beat the Colts when everything's on the line for the Colts and the Colts can't get it done. So then the Pittsburgh Steelers end up beating the Ravens. And as long as the Raiders and the Chargers don't tie, the Pittsburgh Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger going to the postseason, which I'm done with them. I don't want to watch Ben play in the postseason. So now we get this matchup of the Steelers against the Chiefs, where the Chiefs basically get a, a tune-up game for the rest of the postseason. They end up losing out of that bye, and they really don't get punished because of the fact they get to play Ben Roethlisberger and company. And the Chiefs are on the ropes on Saturday. If it isn't for Melvin Gordon fumbling when the Broncos are going in to score, the Broncos may upset the Chiefs in that game. So the Chiefs are getting a lot of breaks here as it pertains to the first round because Ben Roethlisberger, I mean, that offense is pitiful. That offense is terrible to watch. But anyway, so you have this game yesterday, Raiders and Chargers. And so technically going into the game, they could have just knelt the whole time. I, they really could have done that. They could have knelt the whole game. And in that particular scenario, if they tie, both those teams go into the postseason. Now, I would argue that the Raiders had a little bit more to play for because if that scenario plays itself out, the Raiders play the Chiefs again, and the Chiefs just slap them around. They beat them by, like, 45 points. The Raiders cannot beat the Chiefs. So they had a little bit more to play for. But a couple of things in this game. So first, we'll get into the big thing in a second here. But it's 17-14. to 14, And the Chargers have a fourth and one from their own 18. This is in the beginning of the third quarter, right? So I don't know what the hell... Brandon Staley is thinking here. Like, I'm all for being aggressive and all that, but you're at your own 18. And it's fourth and one. I should say this is in the third quarter. And you end up going for it, and you don't get it. So, essentially, you are just giving the Raiders points, which I, I don't understand the upside of this. So, you're on your own 18. Even if you pick up the first down there, there's no guarantee that you pick up another first down. You may have to punt after the next set of downs, so to speak. So why would you go for it there? The upside just isn't there. I get it if it's at your own 42 or their 42, but we're talking about your own 18-yard line. I love the fact that he's aggressive, and I like that he's different, and, like, people get pissed off about him because he goes with the analytics. So I like the fact that he, like, aggravates people for some inexplicable – like, people can't handle it, that he goes for it all the time. I love that. Like, he's cool to have in the NFL. But that one, I mean, that just – is that like a heat check? I don't understand why the hell you would go for that. It made no sense to me whatsoever. So I had an issue with that one. But here's the other thing that happened. So end of the game, it's 35 or it's 32-32. And it's the Chargers, the Raiders at the beginning of overtime, they kick a field goal. The Chargers go down the field, they kick a field goal. And by the way, right before uh, right before overtime, I mean, Justin Herbert is just ridiculous. I mean, some of the passes he was completing in that final drive, oh, my God. Three-fourth and tens. Three. Three of them. Unbelievable. But anyway, so getting back to at the end of the game here, at the end of overtime. So you have a second and 11 at the Chargers 46. Jacobs runs off left tackle for seven yards. 
Okay. Then you have a situation where the okay, so let me start with this. Sorry, I, I set this up poorly. So first and ten at the Chargers 45. Jacobs goes off left guard, doesn't pick up a yard. Actually loses a yard. The Chargers don't take a timeout. The Raiders don't take a timeout. Okay, so then second and eleven at the Chargers 46. Josh Jacobs off left tackle for seven yards. So then what happens after that? Well, the Chargers decide to take a timeout with 38 seconds left. Remember, here's the thing about this particular scenario. The Chargers and the Raiders, if they tie, they're both going to the postseason. So the Raiders are thinking, okay, well, we're content with the tie here. So they were actually seeing if the Chargers would take a timeout. Because if the Chargers didn't take a timeout, they were content letting the clock run down. They admitted it after the game. The head coach of their interim head coach of the Raiders did. And Derek Carr said after they called the timeout, our mindset changed. And here's the other thing. So Brandon Staley takes the timeout because he says, we want our best run defense on the field. The Chargers suck at rush defense to begin with. So I, I don't know why that was so important to him. I really don't think it was. But anyway. So he wants to get his best rush defense on the field. Here's the other thing they do. They only have 10 men on the field. You realize that? They take this time out in the most critical time of the game, their most critical time of the season, when a team was willing to tie with you to, so you could both go to the postseason, and he doesn't even have 11 men on the field. Unbelievable. So then, of course, we all know the story. The Raiders kicked a field goal. And it, here's where I'm aggravated about this. I'm aggravated that Big Ben's in the playoffs because of this non-tie and that Herbert's not. I feel like we were ripped an opportunity away from us that Justin Herbert's not in the postseason because of Brandon Staley. And as I've said, I've supported him multiple times for the moves he's made, but I can't support the timeout here at the end of the game, and I cannot support him going for it on fourth down from his own 18. It's a three-point game, man. What are you doing? You have to weigh the risk and the reward. You're gifting them points if you don't pick up that first down. Absolutely gifting them. And it's not as if it's a guarantee that you're going to score. It's not as if you were at their 32 and it's like, okay, now we're going to get a touch. No, it's not anything along those lines. You still got the majority of the field to go to score to begin with. So that just made no sense to me whatsoever. And now the Chargers are not in the postseason. And think about this. How many teams would you rather see in the postseason than the Pittsburgh Steelers? I would rather see the freaking Colts in the postseason than the Steelers, honestly. Jonathan Taylor was like a fringy MVP candidate. I'd rather see him in there. I'd rather see the Chargers in there with Justin Herbert. And I know that it really wasn't possible. I'd rather see if Lamar Jackson was healthy, I'd rather see the Ravens in there. So now we all got to all watch Ben Roethlisberger play in the postseason because this Brandon Staley character wouldn't allow his team to tie the Raiders, and he went for it on fourth and one from his own 18. And I don't know if you saw this, that Brandon Staley, if they did, if they had tied Payouts across the country from sportsbooks would have topped a billion dollars. Holy crap, really? One billion dollars. That's for your Bleacher Report. So a lot of people mad at Brandon Staley. And how about this? <laughs> I would be too, man. Unreal. Derek Carr in that game threw for a buck 86. Justin Herbert, he threw 64 times for 383 yards, three touchdowns. He did have a pick in there. But he was so good in the game, they put everything on him. They had an opportunity to just go to the postseason. Justin Herbert's on the sidelines, and he's saying, I've never wanted a tie so badly in my life. Oh, by the way, so at the end of the game, we referenced the fact that Brandon Staley takes the timeout, and then the Raiders decide, okay, after the timeout, we're going to go for this, try to pick up the yardage. Here's what Brandon Staley said about this decision. 
Brandon, you took a time out there with 38 seconds left before the third and fourth. Why, why did you take a time out there? Yeah, we needed to get into the right grouping. We felt like they were going to run the ball, so we wanted to get our best 11 personnel run defense in, um, make that substitution so that we could, you know, get a play where we would deepen the field goal. Derek Carr said after the game that that timeout changed their mentality. Do you think that had any reason to do with them? And, and I don't think it changed their mindset because they were going to run the ball on the play before, and then they ran the ball the very next play. So we wanted to make sure that we got our run defense in there, um, and we, had, you know, we obviously didn't execute well enough, but we wanted to get our premium one-back run defense in here, and that's what we did. Was there was any part of the motivation for you saving time to potentially win it if they were to miss that field goal? My mindset was to make the field goal as long as possible. And he can't fall on the sword. He can't do it. Like, he can't admit that he was wrong. And that would infuriate me if I was a player on that team. There's actually a video that was going around Twitter last night where Austin Eckler, I believe he was talking to Carl Nassib after the game, and he asked him, hey, were you guys just going to play for the tie? And he said, yeah. Ryan Nassib, or excuse me, I'm thinking of Ryan Nassib because he was at Syracuse the same time as I was. Carl Nassib, who is Ryan Nassib's brother, said, yeah, we were going to play for the tie. <laughs> and they didn't, and the Chargers just ignored that. And he says, I don't think it changed their mindset. Derek Carr said it changed their mindset, Coach. Do you think it changed their mind? No, no, it didn't change their mind. Oh, but the quarterback of the other team legitimately came out and said it changed their mindset, and you're telling us it didn't change their mindset. So the Raiders just went up there after the game. Two different people, the head coach and the quarterback of the team, said it changed our mindset when they called the timeout. You're just going to ignore the fact that they are saying it changed their mindset. They said, okay, we're playing for the win now. It was like they were feeling them out. They were trying to figure out, hey, what are they? Right, hey, wink, wink here. We're running. You guys on board with this, and... The charge's like, nah, no, we're not on board with this. Your defense sucks. Your rush defense sucks. Just give in. They're telling you. It's not like you're not going to go to the playoffs. If you do this, you're going to the playoffs, and the Chargers decided, nah, we're good. We're playing for the win here. They gave you an – like, I just – win at all costs, right? But get into the playoffs at all costs. Like, you've got to get into the postseason, and the Chargers just ignored that, and Brandon Staley ignored this. And I do wonder this. He's going to lose some guys in the locker room after this. He cost them an opportunity to get into the postseason. Unbelievable. Unreal. I, I I just, I can't understand. First of all, like, the time out there, and I can't understand going for it on your 18. Like, I'm all for being aggressive. I go by the analytics. You know me. I like to follow, like, the numbers, and I like the more aggressive coaches. I feel like Bill at times, coach is scared, and he isn't aggressive enough. Like, I like the fact that St- Staley's, like, all the way to the other side. But, man, that was a dumbass decision to go from it from your own 18. I, there's got to be limitations to what you're doing. All right, Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. 617-779-7937 is the number. So the other thing I wanted to get to is the big decision today is the Dolphins move on. After they just swept the Patriots, the Dolphins move on from Brian Flores. Here was the owner of the team, Stephen Ross, talking about his decision. I've been looking at this over three years now and watching the organization grow. And I think an organization can only function if it's collaborative and it has, and it works well together. And I don't think that we were really working well as an organization that it would take to really win consistently at the NFL level. Okay. So he didn't think they were going in a direction where they could win at a high level at the NFL level is basically what he's saying. So the reporting is from Jeff Darlington that Brian Flores was in a pretty bad place with both the GM, Chris Greer, 
and the quarterback Tua, of course. So here's the thing that I would say. Does anybody really look at the Dolphins? And I don't even think they had a bad season. They swept the Patriots, and look, they started off poorly, but then they responded with that seven-game winning streak. I didn't look at the Dolphins and look at that roster and say, yeah, this is definitely a playoff team in year three of the rebuild. I didn't think there were any lock to get into the postseason. I know they built up positive momentum last year, but if you asked most NFL people out there and said, hey, the Dolphins finished, what, 9-7 and seven on the year or whatever it was, I guess, what did they finish, 9-8. They finished 9-8 and eight on the season, right? They finish nine and eight on the season. You say, yeah, that sounds about right. That's where they're at, nine and eight. This was not a year where you looked at the coach and said, yeah, he's got to go. This isn't like, so if you look at a team like Minnesota who finished, what, eight and nine, this wasn't just like, okay, Mike Zimmer had one bad year. Mike Zimmer was a decent coach. I'm not saying he's an awful coach. He's a fine coach. Went to the NFC Championship game one year. Really good defensive mind. But they started to lose some talent there. Kirk Cousins sort of underachieved. I know his numbers always look nice, but he's never been a great quarterback. And they just never got over the hump there in Minnesota. But he's been there for nearly a decade. So it felt like, okay, eight years. It feels like it's time to move on. It didn't really look, you didn't look at Miami and say, you know what, three years. One year was a throwaway year. Remember, they traded everybody the first year he got there. Not to say that wasn't the right move. It was the right move to get rid of Tunsil. It was the right move to get rid of Minka Fitzpatrick, right? Because it was going to take the Dolphins a couple of years to get good again. The problem is that they didn't hit on the draft picks. And that's not on Brian Flores. That's on Chris Greer. So Chris Greer is the guy that has been screwing up the drafts, and yet Brian Flores is going to pay the price for that? Uh, You think about it. So two years ago, they take Tua over Justin Herbert. And it's not as if, like, the Chargers jumped over them. No, no, no. They passed on Justin Herbert for Tua, a guy that was coming off a serious hip procedure. They could have taken Justin Herbert. They wanted Tua. They also drafted Austin Jackson that year. has been horrible. Robert Hunt, who's been horrible. The Dolphins, by the way, 32nd in pass block win rate. They are one of the worst lines in the entire NFL. They don't have a lot of young studs. Now, last year's draft looks like it's going to work out with Jalen Phillips, and, of course, they traded up for a guy like Jalen Waddell. But if you look at that team in terms of the totality of the roster, it's not great. And when you see some of the quotes coming out of Miami in terms of the Twitter accounts, Nick Needham, sick as bleep. Blake Ferguson, the long snapper, can't thank Coach Flo enough for taking a chance on me. So it feels like he had that locker room. And then they decided to move on from him. So this is the one that's kind of perplexing to me, like why you would move on from Brian Flores. Now, I believe that he's going to get one of these jobs now. And quite frankly, I've had a lot of these owners across the league that had openings. Like, for example, Chicago has an opening. We know that Denver has an opening. So when you look at it, the Jaguars have an opening. The Raiders could have an opening. Maybe they just hang on to the interim head coach because they're in the postseason. Who knows what's going to happen with them? They're kind of going to be behind the eight ball because you're getting ready for the postseason. You're also going to be interviewing coaches. So I would say they'd probably just stick with the interim. But nonetheless, getting back to the original point is all these other owners across the league are going to be like, we didn't envision that Brian Flores was going to be available. And the other problem with this, if you look at it from a Dolphins perspective, it has to feel really bad when... You immediately fire your coach, and he becomes the number one head coaching candidate on the market. Like, isn't that indicative, or isn't that telling you that you made a critical mistake? Think about that. You just fired Brian Flores this morning, and now he's the number one coaching candidate on the market. He's going to get another head coaching gig. So when you look back at that and say, we really screwed that up. So the only thing I can think of. Now, Stephen Ross did come out today because everybody was trying to connect the dots. Like, oh, this means they're going after Jim Harbaugh. 
Okay, well, Stephen Ross came out today, who also went to Michigan, big donor to Michigan. He came out and he said, hey, we're not going after Jim Harbaugh. I don't want to be the guy that takes away Michigan's coach. So, obviously, that would be a bad look for him. Michigan guy, if he takes away the coach of Michigan after the best year that Michigan's had in recent history, where, of course, they end up going all the way to the college football playoff. Now, they did get their ass kicked by Georgia. But the point being, they did get all the way to the college football playoff. If you took away the head coach... At Michigan, that's a bad look for you. So I understand where Stephen Ross is coming from there. But he has to have somebody in mind, right? I can't imagine you move on from a guy like Brian Flores and you're going to have this big, wide head coaching search because you feel like you can find some upgrade out there, whether it, like, is it Brian Dayball or somebody along those? I can't imagine that you would think that way. Because even if you felt like, okay, the culture with Flores and with Greer and Tua, it's not working out or those guys aren't getting along right now, you would have to think, okay, let's try to fix this. Let's try to work things out before we move on from Brian Flores because there is no guarantee that there is an upgrade out there in the coaching market, right? Flores is a really good coach, so there's no guarantee you're going to find somebody better than him. That's why I have to think that they have something already planned where they already know they're going to get somebody. They have to. There's no other way around. I don't know that you can move on from Brian Flores without thinking that you have somebody wrapped up. You have to. No way around it. And by the way, from a Patriots perspective, this is great. Because Flores is 4-2 and two against Bill. We saw him. He had Matt confused like crazy yesterday. They blitz more than anybody. They bring pressure like crazy. I feel like this is good from a Patriots perspective. Now, he would never come back here. And the reason I say that is this. Patriots are going to have to pay him way too much money. Say he doesn't get a head coaching job, which I believe he will. I believe he's going to get a head coaching job out there. But nonetheless, just getting back to my original point. If they do, if he does miss out somehow on all these jobs, which again, I don't believe is going to happen, you know how much money they'd have to bring Flores back for? He'd have to be the highest paid defensive coordinator, and that would mean that Belichick would have to take the job away from Steven, which is never going to happen. So unfortunately, he's not going to be back here. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. All right, one other coaching note I want to get to. We'll do that next here on EA. We're right back to it. This is Brian Barrett on EEI. All right, well, we're going to have a new national champion in college football. Kirby Smart finally gets over the hump. Oh, to beat Alabama. They just went up 32-18, to 18, pick six. Tough day for Bama, though, man. Tough night, I should say. They lost Jameson Williams. So, I mean, they didn't have all their weapons, but, man, anytime Alabama loses, I feel like everybody outside of Alabama is happy. So, George is going to win a national championship. Oh, Wiggy, he's going to be pumped tomorrow, man. He already won... What was it? He won two, or not one, but he got two two G's from Ty Law to the Greg Hill Foundation for the Michigan-Georgia bet. Now they're going to win the national championship. Wow. Yeah, 33-18 to 18 after the extra point. So I guess the fourth quarter was entertaining. I would say it's a pretty crappy national championship, but hey, Georgia's going to win a national championship. Saban's was going for eight. Kirby Smart gets number one. So he's really the first, see the first, well, I guess now he's the second assistant because... Jimbo Fisher beat him during the regular season. So now he becomes the second assistant to actually get a win over Nick Saban. So college football season over Georgia, the national champions. Unbelievable. 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until minute. All right, so a couple of other things now in terms of the NFL and the coaching carousel. Gerard Mayo is going to get an interview with the Denver Broncos. Now, when Andy Hart and I were filling in for Gresham Keefe, 
during like right after the new or right prior to the new year. We had Ann Rappaport, and he goes on with those guys every Thursday. And he told us that Gerard Mayo's interview last year with the Eagles, people came away really impressed. So now it makes a lot of sense that he's getting more opportunities out there in the Denver Broncos. But the Denver Broncos, that's going to be one where you're getting a lot of guys that are getting opportunities there in terms of interviews. Obviously, McDaniels is not one of them. They're not going to be interviewing McDaniels for that job. But with Mayo, the thing that sticks out to me is sort of that Mike Vrabel type in terms of, well, really smart player. And if you look at Mike Vrabel throughout his career, now he went to Ohio State as an assistant to Urban Meyer, and he was a really good recruiter. Then he goes to the Houston Texans to coach with Bill O'Brien. He eventually becomes the defensive coordinator there after being a position coach for a number of years. When he actually takes over for Romeo Cornell, they basically gave Romeo Cornell a different title, and then Cornell eventually would become the defensive coordinator again. He wasn't a great coordinator. Like, the Texans' defense, when he took over as the defensive coordinator, it actually got worse. But he was a great leader. Like, everybody bought into him, and he goes to the Tennessee Titans, and we've seen since he's gotten there, the Titans have been really good to the point where this year they are the number one seed of the AFC. And that's why if you look at Vrabel now, and I know Belichick, it felt like he was running away with it at one point this season, but Vrabel should be the coach of the year. The other guy that you would put into consideration would be like a Matt LaFleur because the Packers continue to get the number one seed in the NFC, and it seems like that guy gets no credit. Because when Aaron Rodgers was with Mike McCarthy, they were good. I know that they won a Super Bowl a long time ago, but they weren't consistently this good like they've been the past couple of years. And I would argue this team is better than the one they had last year. And for the Packers, they're getting David Bakhtiari back, and they're getting Zedarius Smith back. They already got Bakhtiari back, but they're going to get Zedarius Smith back for the postseason. Adams, of course, we saw him playing again. He's been healthy the past couple of weeks, and Rodgers is ready to go. So... LaFleur gets no credit for that team for whatever reason. But nonetheless, I think you got to give it to Vrabel because he was missing Derrick Henry for a good chunk of the season. We'll see how healthy Derrick Henry is for the first round of the postseason. He missed A.J. Brown for, what, four games. And Julio Jones basically hasn't played. He caught, caught a touchdown pass last week, or yesterday, I should say, and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I forgot. Julio Jones on the Titans, right? So Vrabel's done a lot with that team considering all the injuries. In fact, if you look at it, it's, what is it, the Saints have had the most players in the NFL in the history of the league, and the Titans have had the most starters in the history of the NFL this season. So Vrabel should get the coach of the year. But kind of relating Vrabel, obviously when you look at him, everybody buys into what Vrabel does, right? Like that team obviously completely buys in for Vrabel. They, they have no business being the number one seed based on the talent that they have. Now, if they're all healthy, yeah, they have a chance at the one seed. But based on how it transpired this year, with Julio Jones being a non-factor, with Henry going down in the middle of the season, and with A.J. Brown going down, they had no business being the number one seed. They, they beat the Rams with all those guys out. Well, A.J. Brown playing that game. But without Henry, without Julio Jones, they beat the Rams, a really good team. They had no business getting to where they are. That's why I believe Vrabel should be coach of the year. But Vrabel, that leader, right? Everybody, it seems like, in the coaching market the past couple of years, they're looking for that young offensive coach. And Vrabel, yes, young, but he wasn't even a great defensive coordinator. It's more about his leadership skills. And I'm wondering if Mayo, if that's what people see with Mayo, is that leadership quality, if you will. Now, the thing that would concern me is Josh McDaniels. It doesn't appear that Josh McDaniels is going to be the front runner for any one of these jobs. Now, if you look at the Chicago Bears, 
even though they just had Nagy, it seems they're leaning offense and they're interviewing Brian Dayball. If I'm a head coach or if I'm a team looking for a coach, I'd take my shot on Dayball before McDaniels. McDaniels already had opportunities and Brian Dayball's a better play caller. So I don't know how you would go with McDaniels over Dayball. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Denver's obviously out of the equation for Josh McDaniels. Then you bring in a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're interviewing everybody. At some point, Eric Bieniemy has got to get a job because he's been in everybody's He's been on the search for like three years, still hasn't gotten that opportunity. So at some point, he's going to get a job. So he's up for that one. Bill O'Brien's up for that job. They obviously really like him. And the GM who's keeping his job wants Bill O'Brien. So if I just look at the landscape, if you're Josh McDaniels, Minnesota's open. Do, would you want to go to Minnesota? That situation's a mess. You got Kirk Cousins on a bloated contract. The roster is not really good. Like if I'm Josh McDaniels, I don't even know if I'd want that gig. It seems like being the offensive coordinator of the Patriots is a better gig right now than being the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings because that's like you don't have a great young quarterback. You have Kellen Mond, and you have a quarterback that's aging that's not very good to begin with in Kirk Cousins, and your roster's not very good. So I feel like Josh McDaniels, again, is going to be one of these guys where he felt like a month ago he's going to get a gig, not going to get a gig for like the fourth straight season where he actually wanted one. All right, thanks to Justin for producing. I'm back with you tomorrow. Have a great night. Everybody be safe and be well. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.